Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 61 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist based in the UK and I provide advice and assistance to employers and employees who are having problems at work or in relation to HR, HR training and anything really to do with looking after your people in an organisation or when workplace disputes arise. Now the purpose of this podcast is to bring you regular updates on what's happening in employment law and also to touch upon some hints and tips and also some things that you would need to know as either as a manager, business owner or HR professional. So I hope you find this podcast helpful and if you haven't tuned in before, welcome. This week I'm going to be talking to you about a case that's actually currently going through the employment tribunal process. I believe that the hearing has finished and we're just awaiting the judgment. But it's in relation to something that's quite interesting. So without further ado, I'll get into this week's content. Okay, so this week's case is regarding Uber drivers. Now, I'll start off by saying for those of you who don't know what an Uber is and if you're listening to this and you live in London or one of the major cities you'll be saying what are you talking about Alison everybody knows what Uber is but where I live on the Isle of Wight we don't have um, the Uber service and I'm sure there are parts of the country that don't and therefore I'm just going to explain what Uber is first. So Uber is an an app that has essentially revolutionised the way that people use taxis in London predominantly and then it is spreading out to other cities around the country. So basically you instead of calling a taxi you order your taxi via the app and then you can literally see where your taxi is, you can see your driver's face, you can see the registration number and you can get your fare in advance. And there are all kinds of things so you can do an Uber different size taxis or you can do an Uber sharing as one of my friends found out by mistake when she downloaded the app and started using it for the first time. Um, She got into a car and realised by the time they went and picked up another two people she'd actually ordered a sharing car rather than just the straightforward car to herself. Anyway so Uber is something that's been a bit controversial, particularly for the black cab drivers I know in London when it was first introduced because it is a different service and they substantially undercut. Now, the way that Uber works, and I guess the way that they can provide their service so cheaply is because obviously they utilise technology by using the app. So they're cutting down their administration costs and their costs of um, staffing because you basically put your, you load up your credit card or your debit card and it's taken straight away. So there's no cash transactions. And then they have various people sign up to be drivers. And all of those drivers essentially work on a self-employed basis. Now, I found out how easy it was to sign up as a driver or to start the process, should I say, I didn't get very far. When I downloaded the app for the first time and tried to use it and actually found instead of registering to use the customer side of it, I was registering as a driver and I quickly realised I'd done the wrong thing, but I got a number of emails afterwards offering me the opportunity to become an Uber driver. So it 
it looks as though I think they have various testers and things you have to go through, you know, proving who you are and that you've got a driving license and all that sort of thing. But anyway, anyone can sign up and become an Uber driver. So what's the problem and why is it going through the employment tribunal? Well, the reason why it's come to my attention and I'm talking to you about it is because a couple of Uber drivers have brought a test case in the employment tribunal. So there's a case going through which needs to be determined. And then there are, I think, approximately 17 other cases behind that that have already been lodged by Uber drivers claiming that they have employment rights and they're not actually self-employed people as Uber are claiming. Now, as I say, we don't know the outcome of this case yet. It's only just been in the London Central Employment Tribunal. But basically what Uber are saying is their defence to this and why they're saying that they are self-employed people rather than employees or workers is that they are saying basically they're a tech company. So they're a technological company and they're not a transport provider. They provide the technology for this and they work with driver parties who actually facilitate the service. Now, what the lawyers for the Uber drivers are saying is actually now Uber are going contrary to what they said when they were starting out and which was that um, they reported to Transport for London that they would guarantee and to generate tens of thousands of jobs. Now they're saying that that's contrary to what Uber are now saying in relation to how they deal with people and self-employed. Now what's interesting about this is that of the 30,000 registered Uber drivers in London, which is a lot of drivers, 99.9% of them apparently operate as individuals and only 68 of them operate as small businesses, which is what you would normally expect of a self-employed person is that they operate as, as a business. And many people are doing it, Uber say, as second jobs or to top up their income and that sort of thing. And it's not their primary source of employment. Uber also say the reason why they are claiming that they are not employees or workers is that actually the drivers have absolutely no obligation at all to log on to the app. So there's no obligation to them to log on and say they're available to drive. They can do it whenever they choose. They can do it as much or as little as they want at whatever times they'd like to. And there's absolutely no restriction on them working elsewhere. On the flip side of things, the GMB union who are supporting the case and working along with the Uber drivers say that actually there are a number of issues here in terms of the exploitation of these drivers, that some of them are working for less than minimum wage when you take out the fees and costs and tax and all of that sort of thing, that many of them are doing long hours in order to ensure that they've got enough money coming in because of the low pay and that actually it's not safe for these people to have unpaid leave so that you know obviously as a self-employed person they're not entitled to paid holiday and so what the union are saying is this encourages people to do longer hours to work longer without breaks and this is contrary to health and safety if they're driving around London driving passengers around and they're not actually having a break so they're using a number of arguments there to say why they should be classified as either employees or workers so what the employment tribunal will do here is assess all of the facts of the case and look at what actually happens on a day-to-day basis with this relationship. And then they will need to determine whether 
these drivers fall into one of three categories. So the first is employee. So if the tribunal decide that they're an employee, then they will have full employment rights along with all other employees. They could decide that they are a worker, which is a sort of middle category of persons. And in that case, they would be entitled to holiday, to sick pay, to the national living wage, and also to pensions. And finally, they could decide that they are actually a self-employed person and self-employed persons have no rights at all and they have to pay their own tax and NI and are responsible for their own insurances and that sort of thing. What you should note about this situation is that, unfortunately, there is no hard and fast rules about what constitutes an employee and what constitutes a self-employed person. It's not been set out in law anywhere and so you have to look at all the circumstances of the case and a number of points that have developed over time. So what are those points? Well I'll just run through them with you and the key things are in terms of one is the mutuality of obligations so that each party has an obligation to either turn up or to provide work. So there's a mutual obligations between the two. The second is the requirement for personal service so that the person employee has to show up and provide the service themselves. So in the case of the Uber driver, it has to be the person who is registered as the driver. And then thirdly, the third point is in relation to control. So there has to be an element of control over how the employee or worker works when they are doing the tasks that um, the employer or the business wants them to undertake. So the top three things to consider are mutuality of obligations, personal service and control. Now, I don't know a huge amount about how the relationship works on a day-to-day basis between the particular Uber drivers and the company. But what I would say here is where potentially there could be a problem is in relation to one, the mutuality of obligations because clearly there's no obligation on Uber to provide work and no obligation upon the Uber drivers to actually show up and do any work. And then the the second one is control. Um, As I said before, and one of the arguments that Uber are running is that they have no control over how and when and what the um, drivers do. Obviously, they control how much they're paid. But aside from that, an Uber driver doesn't have to pick up a job. If it comes their way or they're assigned to it, they don't actually have to turn up if they don't want to. And that's my understanding of things anyway. And then there are another a number of other factors that would be taken into consideration in addition to those sort of top three. And that would be that they would look at the exclusivity. So is the person required to work exclusively for that company or that employer? The nature and the length of the engagement, so if it's an indefinite relationship that's ongoing with regular recurring work, then that might also signify that it's an employment relationship, either a self-employed relationship. The pay and benefits, so how the pay is worked out, is it, you know, they're paid an hourly rate or are they paid a salary or is it a set amount for per job? Do they invoice for that? How is it worked out? The integration of the person within the organisation, so is that person involved on a day-to-day basis with all other staff do they get involved in staff events do they have a uniform and all of those sorts of things do they seem as though they are part of the organization as another employee and who provides the facilities and equipment if the company only provide the facilities and equipment and the person undertaking the work so the employee or worker doesn't actually have to provide anything then that would be another indication that they are an employee 
And then finally is in relation to the financial risk and taxation. So uh, taxation is one of those things that is taken into consideration, but is only a small amount because obviously when people arrange to have a self-employed relationship, it's often to avoid having to pay the employer's contribution of national insurance and the employee will then do of their own tax. So that's not critical to deciding, but it's just one of the factors. So that's what the employment tribunal will be looking at in this case. And when I'm advising clients about whether to have the relationship as an employed relationship or a self-employed relationship, those are the things that we would go to and which are critical to making that decision. Now, coincidentally, I have been asked recently to prepare several contractor agreements for businesses who are taking people on to help within their organisation. And this is the first conversation I have with them is I say, look, what you have to understand is however you define the relationship in terms of the contract, actually it's open to the employment tribunal or HM Revenue and Customs to make a determination of what the relationship is by looking past those terms and looking at how things work on a day-to-day basis. So there's absolutely no point in having a contractor agreement or a consultancy agreement or a self-employed contract with somebody that says one thing about how it works and on the other hand actually they're doing something completely different which would make them an employee. It's much safer to have that analysis right at the beginning and measure the risk and decide to do it properly and have them as an employee if that's really what they are. Now often if you ask yourself what do you really think about this? Is this an employed relationship or not? And but for the payment of tax and national insurance and invoicing, for instance, for everything else, would they be considered to be an employee? And if you answer that to yourself, yes, then you need to think very carefully about how you deal with it. So I've talked about the difference really with between self-employed and employed persons. And then there's this middling category, which has come out of various law, which is of a worker. And workers don't have the full employment law rights, so they can't claim things like unfair dismissal. But they do have rights to holiday, sick pay, national living wage and pension. And a worker, just for your information, is defined in the working time regulations as someone who works under a contract of employment or other contract, whether expressed or implied, and who undertakes to do or perform personally any work or services for another party to that contract. So as you can see, what is set out in law isn't very helpful and often leads to confusion as to whether they're an employee or a worker. Now, what I would say As an employer, for your purposes, what you really need to be focusing on is whether they are an employee or a self-employed person and just look at the line between the two. So I'm really interested to know what you would think. If you have experience of using the Uber service and what you know and what I've talked about on the podcast today, would you say that Uber drivers are workers or employed people who have rights or do you think they are actually self-employed persons? What I think about this case is that actually it's a reflection of how things are moving and how businesses are operating now, particularly in the sphere of technology and like, you know, the services. There are a couple of other businesses who 
uh, provide services via an app or via the internet and then use uh, self-employed persons to actually carry out that work. I think there's a, a food delivery service, for instance, that does something very similar. So this case could have an impact on those sorts of services and an impact, a wider impact on other businesses who use sort of self-employed contractors to maybe fulfill some roles within the organisation. So what do you think then would be the outcome or should be the outcome in this case for the Uber drivers? I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that I don't think that on what I understand and my understanding, which is only what is available to the public of the relationship between Uber and their drivers, that they are employees. I don't even think that they could be classed as workers. But I could be completely wrong here and the Employment Tribunal might decide differently based on the facts and information that's available. So what I will do is I will report back to you on this case and tell you what the actual outcome was and obviously that will give us some further analysis and further information that you can use when determining your relationship with your employees. So if you don't want to take the time to try and work it out yourself, nor do you want to take the risk that it could go wrong, then why not get in touch? I'm happy to have a chat with you on the telephone, run through a few questions, give you my advice on your particular situation and your particular business. You can contact me by email, alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk or you can contact me by telephone on 02380 And of course, the information from this podcast will be available on my website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 61. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen this week and I hope you have a great week ahead of you. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice. 